Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. On today's podcast, we spoke to the beautiful Amanda Johnson. Amanda is someone that I work with and seeing her and how she handles life and hearing about her story has been so inspiring for me that I had to get her on this podcast. Amanda is one of the most authentic, most open-hearted, most caring people that I have ever met and being in her presence for me has been healing and I wanted to share her spirit with you guys. So we spoke about her journey to becoming enough, her journey to stepping into a more open-hearted place. In this conversation with Amanda, we deep dove into what it means to go from mind health, mental health to heart health, which was a really cool reframing of tapping into our intuition. And so Amanda just takes her into, takes us into her journey of what it was like to go from that feeling of not enoughness and that constant just racing thoughts that keep us stuck in old narratives to stepping into a place of wholehearted living where she is living her truth. And she really unpacked in this conversation for us what the journey was for her to get there and also what her experience was with a cult, which was a really cool conversation to bring in because cults are happening all around us. It's it's an easy type of dynamic to get into, especially in today's world with so many of us being in vulnerable mental states, you know, especially, for example, with what happened this year in COVID. So in this conversation, we also dive into kind of red flags to watch out for when you are stepping into a healing space to make sure that you are really walking into a safe space where the leaders and the followers are being radically responsible for their own healing journey and not being misled that somebody else has all the answers, which is, you know, the recipe for a cult. Yeah, not making anyone your guru. Not making anyone your guru. And with that, take in a deep breath with us. And tune in. Before we jump into the episode, we want to highlight our sponsor, Conscious Conversion, recently known as Resonate with Sarah. Conscious Conversion is a holistic multimedia marketing agency for thought leaders of the new paradigm. We love them because their main mode of operating, which also filters out the clients they bring on, is making sure that the message is in alignment 
with your mission in the world and that your mission in this world is in alignment with where the plan is heading right now, that your mission is here to help awaken the planet and move evolution forward. Whatever your offering is, they use Google, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram ads to cut through the clutter of the internet and amplify your message on a massive scale. They also offer organic social media, copywriting, and so much more. We'll link their website in the show notes if you guys are interested in more information. We highly suggest you check them out if your ears perk up when you hear this. And now back to our episode. It is May 12th, 2021. We are opening up the space, calling in our higher selves, our guides, our ancestors, our angels calling in a space for authentic, blooming, safe, healing conversation. Calling in whatever messages want to come through for the highest healing of ourselves, everyone we come in contact with, the highest healing of our community and everyone they come in contact with. We are open. The portal is open. Amanda Johnson, welcome to Pretty Mental. (laughs) Welcome, Amanda. So good to be here, ladies. I'm so excited to have you on today. And I wish we had audio or um, video because everyone could see this luscious green background that you are in. Amanda's in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you're lucky, we'll hear birds, howler monkeys, and the occasional uh, motorcycle driving by. So (laughs) get ready for some sound effects. Amanda and I work together, which I'll say this in the intro, but yeah, sometimes we'll be in meetings and literally I'll be like, are those monkeys in the background? That's pretty cool. (laughs) That's amazing. I love the jungle. Amanda, we want, oh, and this is another thing that I was actually thinking about yesterday. After my last job, which was a break from the super corporate world, and I was like, never going to go back to it again. I remember my, that the last job that I had was almost like, it was the first job that was not corporate. Right. And I said, the next job I have after this is going to be in the jungle. I literally said that I was like, I can't like the next step is in the jungle. No and way. The, yeah. And then the fact that wow. I work with you and Sarah and you got you guys are in the jungle. I should have been more specific. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be in the jungle. Not the concrete jungle, mind you. Yeah. Right. That, <laughs> that came into my awareness the other day and I was like, holy shit, uh, I manifested I that. that. You sure did. We've been talking a lot about manifestation lately down here, but I don't know if that's where we're going yet on this conversation, but I'm just letting you know it is alive in the field. Oh my God. I love that. Okay. So let's start with, if you could introduce yourself to our community and give us a bit of background on your journey, your mental health journey. Yeah. That would be amazing. Sure. Well, you know, just hearing you even ask it in that way gives me a little pause because in all honesty, I have never thought about my journey being one of mental health. And yet in this exact moment, I am being brought into the reality and the more the truth that of course it is because in a sense everything that well that i experience in this uh, journey of life has been about (laughs) cleaning up the mental clutter and the programming and the lies or the um falsities that i have convinced myself are true or that i have uh, decided to believe are true right and that's all in the in the mental realm, in the mental space. And so, wow, for the first time ever, I'm really seeing how all of us are on a journey of mental health and coming back to greater balance 
and greater equilibrium and, and greater clarity. And so with that as my um, <laughs> prelude, wow, my journey is interesting because going into with that direction, I, I noticed a few years ago, well, I've been, I've actually been exploring who I am, looking to improve myself, looking to understand myself and others for a very long time. I mean, it feels like starting in middle school, high school, you know, having conversations with friends or, you know, these deep philosophical conversations, um, reading books, self-help books um, from that age. And then going more into the curiosity, I took psychology classes in college because I was so interested about, and um, sociology classes and philosophy classes. I just wanted to understand uh, how we work as humans. And of course, that was mostly directed at me because I wanted to understand why I was the way that I am or the way that I was. And that evolved um, over time because I started to uh, notice that as I got to be my in my 30s, that I was still really, really unhappy and miserable in my life. And at that point in my life, I didn't feel like I had any reason to be. I mean, I had a very quote unquote normal upbringing. I lived in a beautiful city. I had a corporate job. Uh, I had a partner at the time that I you know, was very much in love with, even though that had its own you know, array of problems. But at the time it was, you know, this person I loved and who loved me. And I was just struggling and suffering. And I thought, what is going on? And at that point, I decided, okay, something I, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to look at something here. And what I came to realize was I had been believing all of these stories about my life and about who I was and how I had been unwanted as a child and how I, you know, was never loved. And this had created, yeah, all of this within me that I thought I could never be good enough. Um, I strove for, per I was a perfectionist, um, constantly doubting myself, constantly comparing myself to others and realizing that I just had to keep doing more um, because nothing was ever enough. Okay, so I have this realization that something needs to change. I read a couple of books that really shifted my perspective. I read The Power of Now and I read The Untethered Soul. Back mm, to back. So good. Classics. And in that moment, I was like, oh, and I realized both of them talk about the mind, you know, observing what is as opposed to being like being what is right. So just going, oh, wow, look, this is happening. or Oh, this is what's happening or what I'm thinking or how I feel, but it's not who I am. And that was a huge shift in the beginning for me of starting to unlearn or deprogram myself. And then eventually I wrote my first book called Becoming Enough because I noticed that where I kept getting stuck was this deeply, deeply, deeply buried belief that no matter what, um, there was still something wrong with me and I was flawed and I had to fix that, that, or I would just, you know, I would never have the life that I wanted. And when I finally came to some realization or acceptance that what, or even just was willing to ask the question, what would it look like? if I simply accepted myself as I am in this current moment as perfect, as okay, as enough, what would that look like? And it was probably one of the scariest questions I ever asked myself because I had spent a life of feeling I had to be different and that I had to improve myself and I had to change. And so sitting in that discomfort for a while has now led me to this you know, expansion and this life that I, wouldn't have thought 
I would be living. Um, and so for me to accept my enoughness was then what led me to experience greater expansion. Mm. Wow. That's so powerful. It's powerful because I know you on a more personal level and whenever I speak with you, one of the things that I feel the most is enoughness. Like in, in, in your presence, I feel so seen. And I know that's because you've embodied that within yourself, which is so powerful. How did you, how did you get there? Like, what are the steps that you started taking? I know you asked yourself that question, but, but what did that look like? I feel like it started simply, uh, meaning I, I, it was in small things. So I realized that, well, I think at first it was the willingness. I had to just first be willing to say, okay, uh, what if I could be open to something different? So in, in the moment where I would normally, okay, for example, I, when I started meditating, which was all around the same time, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna start meditating. And even that was such a, um, a challenge for me at first because I felt there's one way to meditate I was obviously doing it wrong because my mind wasn't empty and I had all these thoughts and, you know, and I, at, at some point in those, in those moments of opportunity, I would say, okay, what if I just let it be? Like, what if I let those thoughts be there? And I didn't feel like I had to push them away. So it was in these subtle, small ways and how I started talking to myself, because that was what Eckhart Tolle really taught me at that time. I mean, of course, he's not the only one who teaches this. It's just, he was the one I you know, learned from. And I would hear him in my mind, you know, constantly of, you know, listening for the silence or literally just watching the thought and then letting it go. Um, and so that was my, it was an active, active practice because I noticed in those times that what was creating all of my not enoughness was this ongoing stream of commentary in my mind. I mean, it was like every, you know, everything had a, I had to comment on everything my, or this, this part of me had to comment on everything. And when I would get quiet or simply look at it and go, okay, I see you. I mean, and then of course I did a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, so it's interesting, right? That's the paradox. I had to accept that who I am is okay and is enough. And simultaneously, you know, recognize that there's still work quote unquote in that because it was going against what my default setting was. So for me, I actually learned that um, letting go of something, whether that was this thought that would keep saying something like, oh, you, you're not doing enough, or, you know, that really could be done better, or I can't believe you're going to sit here on the couch and watch Netflix tonight, or, you know, whatever the commentary was. Actually, the hardest thing to do at times was to ignore it but that's what I would do. And so a lot of it was, a, it was working with myself, but I also had learned a lot of things along the way. You know, I had, I know this is something you wanted to talk about, but I had gone to this professional personal development program for many months. I had read a lot of books. I had, um, you know, I was taking a life coach training program. So I was, I was also armored with a lot of different tools, I guess you could say, to help me undo all of this. Right. So that I could come back into, oh, that's right. This is who I am. And this is okay. And I am enough. And it was, I mean, it's an ongoing practice, you know, to this day. I still can remind myself if I've worked for four hours, that's enough. I don't have to work more if I don't want to. You know, like, that's enough. <laughs> so. <laughs> 
This reminds me of just literally, I think it was yesterday or sometime this week, I was feeling so depleted. I was feeling so depleted and could not get myself to, and in the past, I was someone who also was like full hustle mode, full high achiever. Like I would literally love tapping my leg really fast while it was working because that would give me more energy to work faster. <laughs> I was on one. And plus I'm an Aries and like just the fire was everywhere. And I was yesterday feeling depleted. And I remember thinking like in, in the past I would be, I would get so down on myself. Like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? Why can't I just like get up and like focus? I, I, I want to go on a run. I want to get all these things and what is wrong with me? And I would start feeling guilt because I wasn't accomplishing enough that day. And I've seen this with people close to me in my life where they so they look like they need rest and it seems like they need rest. But what they'll say to themselves is, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And I was so happy that I was able to be really aware of my process in that moment because I was like, my body just needs rest. Like I've gotten to a point where now I can approach myself, which it seems like you as well, with just tons of compassion. And instead of saying something is wrong. It's like, well, what is just, what is my body asking for? And not comparing it to this, this external, external world that has built this illusion that the only way to make it in life and to be whole is to like white knuckle your way through it and take tons of coffee in the morning and then take a bunch of pills at night in order to just achieve. I have goosebumps. I'm going to jump in with that because it's so fascinating. You, you mentioned the lush nature surrounding me and um actually nature has been such a powerful teacher on this journey for me and so for anyone listening i mean the kind of like well how did you do it it's you know of course that's gonna be different for all of us but one thing i definitely remember doing and i still do it to this day is i look to nature and i'm not you know of course the first to do this there are a lot of brilliant people out there that i've probably borrowed these ideas from already which is and i think even eckhart tolle says this in one of his books but there is no judgment in nature judgment in your nature does not compare it you know there's no well that oak tree obviously worked harder because it's bigger than that you know rose it's like no they're different they're different they have different roles they are here for different reasons the the weed is equally as you know necessary as the the thriving oak and yet they play different parts and for me when i look at nature nature doesn't have to strive it doesn't it's not like oh how much more do I have to do today to, you know, bloom? It, It's there. It receives what it needs to receive. It might turn toward the sunlight very naturally, right? So we may, as humans, find our light. We turn toward it. We may water ourselves, you know, or be in a, an environment or in an area that waters us, that nourishes us. And if we have those basic things, then we can trust that whatever then unfolds or blossoms or blooms is what is meant to. And that can be as small as a, you know, dandelion or as, you know, big as the oak. And I feel if we can continue to remember that, um, because again, that was my thing. It's this, the comparison is also where we feel like, ah, you know, but she's blah, blah, blah. And he's, you know, then we put ourselves into a lot of unnecessary stress. The comparison thing is so real. As you're talking about it, I'm sitting here. I wonder if that instinct to compare is something that's born with us or how much it's taught to us. 
You know, like how much is that a natural instinct versus the conditioning? And and what I'm hearing in your in your experience in your story is that the the enough the challenges to enoughness were very much rooted in productivity. That was a yeah. huge thing. Yeah. Well, I probably wouldn't have said it because actually, <laughs> I I called myself actually in my book. I I my editor helped me come up with this word, but I was an unwittingly, or I was unwittingly meaning I didn't realize. And I was an overachiever. Like I didn't even realize I was an overachiever. That's how much of an overachiever I was that I thought it was totally normal what I was doing. And so I didn't actually notice that I was doing all these things. But yes, it was rooted in this productivity, uh, which for me is this, you know, I'm not okay unless, you know, I X, Y, Z. And that typically in our, I think as humans, we do look at it as what have I produced? And because that's where I believe many of us get our worthiness. You know, so, so often a lot of it comes back to, am I worthy as I am? Like, am I, and this, I mean, we might learn this through religion. We might learn this through you know, our schools. We might learn this from our parents. We might learn this. And I, I think your initial question is a really good one. I'm not necessarily answering it because I don't know if I know the answer, but like, I'm just following this stream of I'm only worthy if I, you know, X, Y, Z, um, have so much money, look a certain way. Um, having a certain number of friends or followers, right? Because that I think is what we're trying to fill. We're we're looking to we're looking to prove that we have a right to be here, that we have a right to exist, and that we have a right to thrive, that we have a right to have all the things that we have want in life. And we can only have those things if we do X, Y, and Z. Instead of saying, it's my right, it's I'm it's my it's my birthright to thrive to blossom you know so i do think that our we've we've created this productivity issue addiction <laughs> addiction thank you yes yeah i think something that helped me and valentina a lot right was the nap ministry in atlanta oh yeah oh my god <laughs> amazing the nap ministry so it's a a, a very uh, ooh, and I'm, I'm forgetting her exact name but it's it's a, a woman in atlanta that has done a lot of work around identifying the connection between capitalism and white supremacy and how much of our addiction to productivity is rooted in the oppression that hap- that began in, in the years of slavery, right? Like when we began to see people as machines. And so her whole ministry is around rest as resistance. resistance. Ooh, I have full body chills. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Which I love that reframe, right? You're like, no, I'm going to take a nap because I'm rebelling today. <laughs> it's I, the way that she's created that entire, which is based in so much truth. That actually did really impact me a lot. I didn't even realize it until you just said it. Yeah, you know, it's a common, I feel like it's a combination between those narratives that are taught to us in this race to, to prove our worthiness, to prove that we have a right to be here. And then also this very tribal instinct to not be exiled from the community because then that's a survival instinct thing, right? So in in many ways, in order to transcend a lot of these narratives, we have to also begin transcending our primal kind of like reptilian brain impulses. I love that. I mean, you're spot on from my understanding as well that, yeah, that is one of our greatest fears as human is to be cast out, right? To be rejected literally from the tribe. I mean, a lot of us have rejection, you know, wounds and fears 
and those stem back to probably this more primal experience of, yeah, we did not want to be cast out of the tribe because we would literally die. <laughs> you know, there's, um, that was our, our life on the line. And, and equally, as I hear you say that, Paula, I was thinking, mm, I think, yes, what you're saying resonates. And equally, there's so much of, for me, I feel we want to return sometimes to some of the more na natural or not all of them, but there's this piece around for me, what, what it means to be a part of a tribe, for example. And I don't think this is, I don't think I'm contradicting what you just said. I'm just noticing that for me, being a part of a tribe is knowing that we all have our role to play and that may look very different. And so, yes, to your point, we don't want to be cast out. So we want to show that we're, we are contributing and can we recognize that our contribution, my contribution might look different than yours or might look different than Valentina's or might look different than the guy across the street, right? And so that I think comes back again to that question about comparison. So now we're, we, we're because we have maybe forgotten some of that, I'm, I mean, I remember when I was first starting out into this entrepreneurial space, I thought I had to be like every other female entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneur at the time I was in the life coaching industry. So I thought I had to look like every other life coach out there. And I was, it, it took me some time to go, wait, I don't think that's, I don't have to do that. Right. Like I can have my own journey and my own contribution and how I show up. And so I do think there's definitely some remembering that we, Yes, we want to contribute so because we, we don't want to be cast out. And maybe we, we don't need that fear anymore. And can we also remember that we each have a unique role to play and it can look different than others? Mm -hmm. That we're all part of the ecosystem and each one of us needs to step into our authentic, unique role in order to make this entire ecosystem operate well. Yeah, we've forgotten that. I mean, it, it, our education system you know, doesn't help. So it's like there's an instinct, you know, there's so many there's so many pieces to this. There's that very primal survival instinct, tribal part. But again, even, you know, yeah, in tribal societies, like everybody played a different role. But now in these current community societies that we live in, there's been a lot of conditioning around, right, this one type of appearance is what's acceptable. This one type of career is what's acceptable. This one type of or, or, or limited types of presentations are what's acceptable. Even this this limited range of conversation is what's acceptable. Like you're allowed to have very strong opinions within this range. You know, mm. if you step out of that, then yeah, you know, consequences. Yeah. So much like you talked earlier about, you know, humans as machines, right? Or I think that's something like that. And it's interesting because if we think about it, that is in a way what we've done as a collective, you know, it is, we've first we put in, you know, the, uh, we, we started building machines and, and cars on the assembly line. And then you already mentioned the education system. We put kids into the education system, like an assembly line, you know, and all of a sudden we think, oh, this is what we need to do to make a human. Right. And then, so we, we've been doing, and I say, we, I, I use that a lot because I don't know. That's just the language I find that I use for many different reasons. It's how I seem to see the world and this experience is that I do see I'm a part of all of that in some way. It, it helps me unify instead of divide. Uh, so I'm just adding that as a sidebar there. But I do see the how we as humans, as humanity, have done this little let's package us into a certain you know, shape and box and form. And that has created a lot of dysfunction, you know, in our, in ourselves as individuals and the collective, because now again, we're all trying to look the same or be the same, or we're actually resisting that so much, you know, that then that also creates an imbalance. And um, 
so yeah, the more I think Valentina, I loved how you said it, we come back into that authentic expression. And that that is to me a courageous act because we don't necessarily know what that's gonna look like because it might not look like the person right next to me. And we have to trust that that's enough and that's okay. That can be so tricky because we're fed celebrities and media and that teaches us that there's a certain type of person who looks a certain way and does a certain thing and act, you know, that the goal is to look like them, to be like them, to aspire to reach the levels that they've aspired. And that starts creating that, you know, you, you start ignoring your heart, your soul, your spirit, what you authentically came here to do, what you authentically want to do. And, and so many of us start just molding ourselves without even, I don't even believe we really want to mold ourselves that way. We just think we have to. I feel this, like the whole journey, and I loved you talked at the beginning, like mental health journey. It's like, well, it's, it's like, we're so focused on the mental, which is great because we've created this, we've created the monster. <laughs> we, you know, we've, we've trained it really well. And now we, we are doing our part to kind of, uh, it's, it's a heart health journey. Like, can we come back to the heart and our soul? Ooh, I love that. You know, like, how are we? And I, I'm telling you the longest journey. And I, this is totally me stealing it from, I don't know who, whoever came up with it first, but like, what the, the longest journey is the 12 inches between the head and the heart, like just to get there. I mean, because I'm, for me, that's where it's all stemming. Cause when I'm not listening to the heart, which might be called the soul, the spirit, you know, your gut, some of it, it's our gut, it, you know, um, then we are, we, we find ourselves playing these roles and performing in ways that aren't true to who we are. And so that journey, and I've heard other people say it so well about, it's a journey back home to ourselves, right? For me, that's the, who am I? And like, who am I really? And who am I here to be? And that again, doesn't mean I have to be doing something a certain way. It's just, how am I here to show up? And what I love about that for myself is it has then looked different in the external world. You know, it may mean I was one, I played one role for a while and then I played this other role for a while and I might change my role again here at some point and take on the role of being a mother or take on the role of being a wife or whatever. But it, it's, if I can keep coming back to my heart and saying, I'm doing it from this space and this is how I show up, whether I'm a mother, a wife, a boss, a writer, an editor, uh, whatever, right? Like, and I can, it doesn't matter what role I'm playing, but I'm doing it from this very authentic place. And that's my, for me, that's really what I'm aiming for. How do you know when you're coming from the heart versus from the mind, right? Because I, I know that a lot of listeners might be, you know, like it's it's that thing that that old saying of like, just love yourself, you know, and everyone's like, okay, well, sounds great. <laughs> like, what, what do you even mean by that, right? Or right. come from your heart. It's like, a, like, does it have a certain voice? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> how do I get there? First of all, I love it. I the I just the, just love yourself. By the way, I think I think one of actually one of the authors I had the privilege of working with, I think he says in his book something along the lines of like just start with I like myself. <laughs> like you don't even have to love yourself. Just just like yourself to start. Um, but no, there's uh, for me what it's I, it actually does sound different. So for me, one of the ways I know I'm hearing I'm listening to the heart more than the mind or the head or whatever you want to call it. Right? These are all words that we've use. So use the words that work for you. But for me, when I'm operating from my mind or this ego or whatever you want to call it, I'm often hearing more negative talk. For me, the heart or the soul or spirit will rarely, if ever, 
use negative language, you know, so meaning it's going to, so that's why, because the mind can get really, really clever and it can start to dress itself as the heart. It can be like, oh, look, I'm your heart now. Can't you tell? I really love you and I'm going to keep you safe and I'm going to encourage you not to do this thing. And I feel like when there's, so if you start hearing like, well, don't do that or you better watch out because that person, okay, most likely not your heart. Your heart doesn't get into the story. Your heart, in my opinion, my heart is pure. And what I mean is that whatever I hear from the heart feels simple and it feels and sounds, uh, and it might be different for each of us, but for me, it's, there's no narrative. <laughs> like it isn't this, there isn't a long explanation for something usually. I don't need to somehow justify it or rationalize it, right? All of those means I'm being in that mental headspace. And then when I can boil it down really to the essence, one of my favorite questions to ask myself is, or, or another, is am I operating from fear or love? And the way I, and I just quick, that's to me one of the quickest ways to tune into something. So, and that might be as simple as going, okay, am I, let's say, um, okay, I'm not going to eat ice cream. I want to, let's say I want to eat ice cream. All right. Well, and then all of a sudden I'm, I feel or hear an impulse that says, don't eat the ice cream. Now that could be because I love myself so much that in this moment that I is not the highest, it's not the highest thing for me right? In my experience, maybe I, I'm going to, you know, I just something, some part of me knows that I'm going to eat that ice cream. I'm going to feel sick. Maybe I'm going to, you know, be wired all day. Who knows? Okay. So I can tune in right then and say, Ooh, is that coming from a place of love or fear? Love. I love myself. I'm not going to eat the ice cream. Great. If I tune in and ask myself, why not, why should I not eat the ice cream? And I hear, well, you're going to get fat if you don't, you know, you've been working really hard for all these days. You're going to spoil it with a scoop of ice cream, you know, boom, fear right? That's like immediately going into fear zone. And in that case, I would probably eat the ice cream. <laughs> Will you go right? against that? I think if I know it's my, like, if I can feel it's my head, my ego, my fear, then I would want, I would often want to do the other. Now, maybe I don't eat the ice cream. Maybe I see if there's something else so that I could do that would be loving for myself. Right. So like if I, and of course that's one very simple answer, but I, I mean, or example, but I can think of all the times where it's like, do I, call this person or not? Do I post this video or not? Do I, right? And there's these, if I can sit and feel into or ask myself the question, like, well, why would I, or why wouldn't I? And then notice where the story comes up because the story around fear is going to have all sorts of reasons why you shouldn't do something equally. I may not do something from a place of love. You know, I may not call a person because actually I love them and I want to respect their boundaries or I want to honor their space or I, you know, whatever it is. But if I'm not calling them because oh, what if they, what if they break my heart? What if they think I'm being too much? What if they think I'm crazy? What, you know, boom, that's, a, I'm now making a decision based in fear. And so I want to do as much as I can to lead from love. And that's one way my heart speaks to me. Mm, I love that. I love that. I, f I have a very similar process as you with that. And Paula too, we actually talked about this on the podcast is, am I doing this out of fear? Am I doing this out of love? And it's so much of like when the boat starts feeling really shaky and it's like, we can't, and it's like, we don't know which story to pay attention to. That's when you know that the mind is taking over. And I've even found in my own journey that like, right when I start feeling almost like the floor is moving from under me and I like can't find my balance. 
I almost have to, I do, I stop and I close my eyes and I have to breathe into my heart and say, all right, settle back into the heart. Like we've lost balance with the heart, settle back into the heart. And almost always, the more that you practice, the more your heart speaks so much louder and so much clearer. And that's such a strong way to focus in on your intuition too, because yeah, your heart is your intuition. And I know that was a question for me growing up all the time. I'm like, people talk about following their gut, but like, what the fuck is that? How do you know? How do you know what your intuition is? And it's, we've lost touch with it because we've been taught to follow rules, to emulate certain things. And we, instead of what, what, what is your body asking you? What is your innate self wanting in that moment? And it gets really, for me, tricky when, for me, I know this is true. I fear my intuition. So if we have fear around our, what would be guiding us to make a decision from love, that gets even more complex and complicated. And I, my encouragement to anyone listening who still wonders, like, what does that feel like? Again, practice that compassion for yourself and get curious, you know, just, you just be curious and, and start to do it in small ways. You know, when you look at a menu, it's like, oh, what, what lights you up? Or when you are walking down the street and something like gives you pause and you want to go into a store or you want to turn around and go the other way, or you, you know, like give yourself permission to follow those little, little nudges. And I, that's for me exactly what it is. It's, yeah. It's a muscle. We, we, we are reestablishing a relationship with this part of us. And for at least some of us, you know, have been more disconnected from it than others. I know I felt I was really disconnected from it for a long time. So yeah, giving yourself that. And, and then there are these little tricks. This is just coming to mind. So I want to share it because this is something my friend and I was talking about the other day. It's a coin flip. Okay. It's like, you know, when you flip a coin, but instead of you following what it says, flip the coin and then notice how your body or your mind or your heart, but in that moment, how do you respond as a, as a being. Because if I say, do I want chicken or pizza tonight? And I flip the coin and it says chicken, but I go, Ugh. well, guess what? I want pizza. Like that's how clear it is. You know what I mean? So that's, a, that's a really cool trick actually. Trick ourselves. We can trick ourselves. So. That reminds me of this meme that it's like the next time your girl's hungry, just tell her I bought you food. Guess what it is? And it's the first thing that that she says, buy her that. Yes. <laughs> Typically, it's like, you know, when, when boyfriends or partners ask us, we're like, I don't know. I'm starving, but I don't know. No, no to that. No to that. No to that. Yeah, exactly. We all know. So we know. We just don't we want to. We always know. We just don't want to say it. Yeah. That's a good trick. <laughs> I'm going to keep that one in my back pocket it and is. pass it Do on it. for sure. Do it. And the last thing coming through I just started reading um, David Hawkins' Power Versus Force. And by just started reading, I, I like read the first two pages of the introduction. I'm not that far into it. However, <laughs> he does talk right away in that about our muscle testing. So that's a whole nother trick. If you don't know about muscle testing, um, your body does know. So anyway, yeah, we can yeah. simplify it. We, we can shortcut some of these things. But what I will say is that we don't really like to as humans. So be okay. Like just also acknowledge that if you like to make it harder for yourself, that's okay too. <laughs> we have a lot, we'd have a lot of time on our hands if we didn't, you know, complicate things. So you think we, so we like to make things harder for ourselves on purpose? I, I think we're kind of addicted to it. I'll be honest, but 
<laughs> you know, I think some people, me being one of them, I don't know if any more, because now I, I do follow my intuition more than ever. But in the past, I, I, I had to try everything out to know exactly what the right route was. Even if like I had to dive in 100% to every single thing with knowing that there was potential like shit at the end of that tunnel, but Beautiful. I had to do it because if not, I would always be curious. Yeah. I mean, I love that. And I, I say that a little cheek with a little tongue in cheek because I don't know if that's true for everyone. And actually, you know, hearing you say that, Valentina, I'm like, well, that feels like also part of who you are. Like that is your essence. Like that's your, I'm going to go all in no matter what, you know? So that to me is almost like, well, that's quality of someone. So maybe that is part of what I'm saying is, you know, we have these qualities to, you know, get curious, to follow the thing. I mean, I just know for myself, I love to complicate things. <laughs> I have loved to make things harder than they need to be. And I remember on this journey, especially before I wrote um, my book, I remember going like, oh my God, who would I be if I was already enough? And that was like, that's kind of the, what I started in my introduction saying. It's like that question alone scared the shit out of me because then I was like, what will I do? I mean, I would, I, will I read a book again? Will I ever, you know, <laughs> take another class? Am I gonna, like, what am I going to talk about with literally what am I going to talk about? Because I was constantly talking about what was wrong with me, what I needed to fix, how, I, how could I get better? I was constantly asking people, like, so what do you do when you did? And then how do you do that? You know? And, and I'm not saying any of that's wrong because honestly, that's how, in my opinion, everything we do on this path and on this journey is as it is meant to be. So there's nothing wrong about it. It's just fascinating to me that there could be resistance at times on our journey, right? To, okay, well, how about this? And if that feels really simple, we might push it away, maybe, right? Because it's like, ooh, but I'm kind of used to this taking a lot of time or feeling harder or, you know what I mean? Like we just kind of get accustomed to it, I think, in life. That reminds me of what, I think her name is Jenna Zoe or Jenna Zoe, I forget, but she's a human design expert. And one of the things she talks about when it comes to self-love, someone who, you know, what does it mean to love myself? She always says, ask yourself, what would I look like if I was someone who loved myself? Or what would I do if I was someone who loved myself? And then do that. Yeah. Well, sometimes people have no idea. Like some, some, a lot of people, some don't have a frame of reference for that because they've lived in a place of, you know, if you if you're in the darkness for long enough, it's hard to even come up with examples of that. Great point, and and you're right. That's something where I can forget sometimes. I mean that well, we all are here on our own, you know, on our own journey. And I also want to like I almost was about to say this right right before um, you offered that beautiful reflection, Paula was like. Every everything I know I say is because this is what this my body my soul is here to experience and and realize or remember and it may be very different than somebody else somebody else may actually be like nope I'm here to learn the complexities and complications of life right maybe I've you know I've kept things too simple and I you know so I I always want to encourage everyone that I speak to when I remember to say look this is what's true for me or this is my experience and I think you're right on that if a person's like, oh, I don't have a frame of reference for how to love myself. I mean, the first thing that came up for me, which may still not be the answer for everyone is, can you at least, can that person have a frame of reference for what it's like to love someone else? So what would it look like if I were to love somebody else? 
Mm-hmm. Right. Or maybe I do have someone in my life that I love and this is what I do for them or how mm-hmm. I show up for them. And then because I I on this journey as well, there's a lot of talk about, you know, looking within and everything's a reflection. And, you know, it's this and and sometimes, yes, it's easy to it's it can be really easy and helpful to start with one's self. Like, OK, well, let me I'm judging that and that other person. Let me you know see it within first and heal it and love it. Right. And then I won't judge it out there. Well, the other is also true. Maybe I learned to love it in that person. And then by doing that, I will have loved it within myself, right? So I think sometimes we get to choose, do we start outside and work our way in or do we start inside and work our way out? As long as we're aware of what's happening, I think we have the power to choose. Yeah, that's a beautiful point. I actually read that recently. I'm not sure who said it, but it wasn't just that one person that said it, but that we we often hear that, you know, until you love yourself, you can't love anybody else. And actually, for a lot of people, it's like until somebody's loved you, you have no idea what love even is. So it's like, how do you even start to love yourself? Being able to be in a relationship or even to love on someone or even an animal, you know, because a lot of people have complicated relationships with humans. And like, even okay, then like, if you can't think of any human to love, like, can you love an animal then? And, And what kind of love do you give them? And how do you how can you channel that back to yourself? So, you know, I love that idea of taking it beyond us and, and using that to inform us. That reminds me, and that actually ties me back to this idea of interdependence. I feel sometimes, and I actually have gotten a little fiery about this. Um, one day I'm going to do a one woman show. I mean, this is may or may not ever happen, but I can see myself doing a one woman show where it becomes a bit again, tongue in cheek with some of the things that we experience on this journey, because sometimes I get so frustrated with um, certain perspectives that I have felt don't always work for me. But the one that that this is reminding me of is this idea that we're these, you know, in and of ourselves, these sovereign, independent humans. I agree with that. I'm not suggesting that's not true. We are whole in and of ourselves. Um, you know, what we have is within us. You know, we don't need to seek it from others. Like I get all of that as truth. And if we take that too far to the extreme, we can start to cut ourselves off from others and recognizing and remembering the value and not only the value, the necessity of being interdependent. And so what you just said, Paula, was like, yes, like maybe the thing that one of us needs the most in this collective family of humans that we belong to is to be loved by another so that they can remember to love themselves. But if we're, if we all stand there and say, Mm-mm, you just need to learn how to love yourself. No one's got you. No one's going to love you until then. Or I mean, like, because we can do that sometimes. I feel like I've seen, or at least I've felt that in myself. For you sure. Know, maybe, you know, like, well, no, you just got to, you got to be good on yourself, on your own, you know? And it's like, well, you're right. I do. <laughs> And sometimes it helps when I come home and, you know, someone hugs me (laughs) like that can just be a nice bonus. It doesn't mean that I'm not okay or whole without it. And yet that may give me the thing. So why, what I'm hearing as you shared that, and that's reminding me of is that's another thing we get to each do for our brothers and sisters, right? Is to remember that maybe the best thing we can do is offer that to another human in addition to ourselves. So if we have a little extra love to give, let's, let's share it. Let's shine the light of love. Yeah. You know, cause it's interesting as, as a therapist, I always have so many different stories of so many humans running around in my, in my sphere. So every time that I step into these conversations, I'm always like, 
well, what about this layer? And what about that one? And I just talked to three other people, you know, so it's like, there's so many, there's no one perfect answer for anybody. Um, but we're just, we're trying to consider as many of the different perspectives as we can. And yes, in the spiritual or in the, even in the mental health community, that narrative of that you have to be totally okay on your own has, I would definitely say has been taken too far because it started out, it's got good intentions because codependence is not the idea either, but we are social beings. We're, we're humans are so social. We're so social. We, our nervous system gets regulated in the presence of, you know, people that we feel safe with. So that, um, that interdependence is, is a healthy thing. This takes me into the next phase of the conversation that I really have just been wanting to dive in with you about is getting into a cult and what that journey looked like. I love this question. I'm excited. I have, I mean, I've talked about it, you know, with friends and family, but not maybe not as um, publicly as this. So it's kind of exciting. So what I would say is, well, first of all, Although some, I'm sure some people who knew me back then would laugh at me saying this. I mean, I didn't know it was a cult. <laughs> I mean, that's real though. That's you know, real. I mean, that happens. And that... I, I laugh. I know, yeah. but I, I mean, and and I do laugh because, um, I mean, there were you know I had Googled it at the time, which my friends did. There was plenty of information out there that said it was or could be, and. Um, and equally, I chose very consciously. So it wasn't like I was blind. I knew actually going in that this was a term that was being used to, you know, to talk about this particular program. And I decided to listen to myself and say, okay, does that feel truth for me in terms of the people I had met? You know, I was invited to this program. It was a week long program in New York City. And I was invited by these two men who I just felt one I knew and one I had, I didn't, but I met him during this invitation call, you could say. And I felt intuitively, I'm like, these people feel great. I have nothing, no, no red flags, nothing is alarming me. And so uh, I said, sure, I'll go. So it started off as this quote unquote, kind of simple week long program. Um, but it was actually, that was a first phase of like a, I think it's like a 13 day container or something that this particular group offered. And I remember when I got there, I was super excited. I'm like, I'm again, I'm on this de self-development path. So this was before, well, I don't remember if it was before or after I read the power of now, but either way, I was just like, okay, I'm still in like this. Yep. Let me see how much more I can learn and what I can do to further expand. And I go to New York for these, you know, five or six days or something. And for the most part, it, I mean, it was actually some of the most transformational things I had learned up until then. Um, I had not yet done plant medicine, which would have been now the first, and I had not yet done breath work, which is probably the second. So this was like at the time the most um, transformational, but it became it has become the third most transformational thing I've done. We did a lot of NLP, neuro linguistics programming, which maybe you are familiar with, and well, as those who are familiar with NLP know, like most things, it can be used as a tool or a weapon. Right. I mean, you can use it, you know, a hammer to put a bill like a table together, but you can also like murder somebody with a, a hammer. So we I feel with NLP, it's similar. It just depends on how it's being used. And at the time, I was very aware. I'm like, well, wow, this is a powerful tool and technique that they are using. And equally, it was very transformational and profound. Like I did some incredibly deep healing and I saw that in the others around me. So fast forward by the end of the week, then they're inviting 
us into another container, right? It's kind of like, all right, if you liked this and you got something out of it, join the next one or, you know, and at the time they actually had beyond that, like additional, whatever, five days or six days, seven days left that they would take you through. Um, they also had this three month program they were offering. And I was really excited about it because I had, to, it was actually based in theater, which my background's theater. And I thought, wow, okay. So there's like personal development work being done using theater as its base. And I thought that's awesome. That feels like all of my things coming together in one space. And so I had by this point a few red flags because I did um, notice that there were some things that were being said and then the way I experienced the group that didn't feel to be in full alignment. And I thought, okay, and I was still willing to go a little further. I said, okay, well, I'm just, and I, again, very consciously said, I'm going to go and say yes to this thing and I'm going to just be on alert. I'm going to notice, you know, what, what do I feel? What do I hear? What do I see? And so I can, I went back for three months and I lived in upstate New York. And what I observed was, and so now to, I'll speak a little more generally, and then I'll go back to the specificity of this one. For me, I mean, the word cult, if I understand it correctly, comes from culture. And, you know, I, I think even at the time said this, but I certainly have said it since where for me, the word itself is neutral we have used it to speak of something in a very specific way, you know, oh, that's a cult. And we've made that a negative thing versus um, acknowledging that it's a group of people who, I mean, depending on the definition, but I'm just, my, my understanding of like what a cult could mean is it's a group of people who maybe live together or live in the same area, like the same things, do the same things, believe the same things uh, in a lot of ways, then many things could be cults. Right. And so I was just in this phase of exploration, first and foremost, to say, can I, what does that even mean to be a part of a cult or what a cult is? Now, I didn't at that time still think, oh, I'm joining a cult. It was just, I started to pay attention to what I was experiencing. So, oh yeah, these people like to live in the same area. Okay, these people seem to feel strongly about these beliefs or these ways of living. Um, and then the other piece about it was the man who, this happened to be a man who led the this whole organization. And when I met him, it was interesting because I thought, well, he doesn't, I mean, he's very smart. He seems to have a really great handle on these concepts and he's seems to be very knowledgeable and, you know, and working through these very deep issues. He seemed fairly humble. I mean, I didn't get a sense of like grandiosity or he, he did not, what I interacted with him, he did not feel like he was someone looking for power. Now, what I observed first actually was how people gave him that power. So I would listen to how others in the community would speak about him, how they would, they essentially put him on a pedestal. You know, it's like this guy, it's him. And what I've, what I probably started to sense then and what I have definitely felt since upon reflection is in a way, I'm not saying it's it's like a chicken or an egg situation because I don't know which starts it, like what happens first. But what I observed was I felt it was perhaps less about, and this is just my own opinion, and I'm not saying I could very much be wrong, but my curiosity is that I don't know if it was so much that this person, this man, this person was like, I'm going to be a cult leader. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, be the one and all only and, you know, the one in charge more than maybe that he he aspired to teach something, to share something, to um, express something. And others gave him all of their power. And I think when we do that, that is where we are at risk, not just of being in a cult, 
but in a, my opinion, how we have gotten ourselves into a lot of trouble in our world, especially even today, when we think, well, there's someone else out there who has the answers, who knows more than I know, who is the one and only. I mean, that can be everything from a relationship that we get ourselves into, to, you know, our government, to, you know, a religion or again, any type of cult. And then in that way, I am saying, I am not the one with the power. I do not know these things and I will give it all away. Um, we create this incredible imbalance. And so to me, that's what a, my experience of the cult was actually watching that dynamic. And it, I'm sure it was already there, but it seemed to happen before my very eyes. I did leave after the three months because by that time, nothing happened to me. I was not, you know, I was never harmed. I was never abused, but I did by that point feel like something is, I, it started to just have a bad taste in my mouth. Like I felt they were, yeah, it something wasn't right. And I just took notes of any time I experienced something that felt out of integrity or out of alignment. And by the end of the three months, I had to experience enough of those things that I thought, no, I think I'm good. I'm grateful I listened to that intuition. I did leave. And then probably, and this was back in like 2015, maybe, um, end of 2014 and uh, like December. And I don't know, maybe three years later, three or four years later, I did find out that this particular cult, the, the leader and the woman that I had known while there, who I really loved, she was this Hollywood actress, I knew the show she was on. I mean, she was really, really sweet. But anyway, the two of them were um, in prison because they had been indicted to, for the uh, what had then happened and transpired. And it had all come out and come to the surface. So, I mean, eventually it did seem that there were definitely not very nice things happening to some of the women or the participants of this group and organization. And yet, um, yeah, and it actually made one of the Netflix, like, TV shows on cults. <laughs> like I think I one. know what you're talking about too. Cause I, <laughs> you cause do. I, I was watching, um, yeah, I, I was it's, doing a little bit of, of search before we got into this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was it. I mean, it was, I think called Nixium is what it was mm -hmm. under. Yeah. Uh -huh. So that's the one I was under or that's when I was at, but at, at the time I was there for, I mean, of course there were rumors, even then there were rumors of things happening, but I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't experiencing it. So of course, for me, I'm like, well, people can say things, right? I, I don't know. I'm going to trust my experience more than what I hear people say. And so then I did trust my intuition to, to leave because it just didn't feel in alignment anymore. But yeah, so I think it's it was an interesting, for me, I was grateful that I was able to observe. I just, that's what I did. I stayed in an observer mode for most of it so that I, I didn't get caught up in it. Had you already been cultivating your, your mindfulness skills and before that? Yes. And I, I was trying to remember the sequencing of events, um, but I must have been because I had, I'm, yeah, that would make sense because I would have quit my corporate job in the spring, like maybe February, March. And I had read The Power of Now. I remember before I quit that job. So yes, I must have already read, you know, a couple books that were really putting me in this mindful state. And then by that summer, I was invited into this container and, you know, by that fall, I was living in New York for three months. But so, yeah, I was already on this, like, okay, let me be the observer of my life versus being in it. So, yeah, I'm sure that was why I was so aware of uh, being mindful through the process and not just getting carried away by it. From my observation of cults, it's, it stems from, like, we think it's this dark entity that you're going to, you're going to see it from the beginning, but it, a lot of them stem from a place of 
love, quote unquote, like we're here to help you. We're here to help you rise. So, you know, come in and everything that we're going to give you is here to, to see you rise. So it's, I mean, how can you not get manipulated into that? It's like, oh my God, if I walk away from this and it's like, am I just telling myself that I'm not ready to grow? Am I not ready to, to become my full potential? Yeah. So I mean, that, you- and well, that was exactly it because a hundred percent, I actually, I even, even when I later learned what happened, I mean, and this is not just for this experience, but I think for a lot of how I choose to see the world, I choose to see that most, I won't say all, because I guess I can't verify that, but like, I believe most things and most people really do stem from love. I mean, like that's our initial reason for doing things. Um, and I did feel that I felt that from the people who invited me, I felt it when I experienced the things that I experienced in my life of like, wow, that healed that. Okay. Amazing. I could see that they wanted to help and they wanted to help a lot of people. And so that's where it kind of, you know, becomes this, well, we want to help more people. So we need more of you to join. And so you can then also teach this and offer this to people. And we, you know, so I could see it as a very innocent desire. So for me, I think that was where, what it came down to was I started to, I, I actually had to listen to myself. And this was probably some of the first times I did um, more confidently because they're, like I said, and I don't even know if it's that they, the people were manipulating necessarily, but they, some of them could have been, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm, but I'm recognizing that what we were doing with our minds, like literally that was manipulating us to believe like you just said, well, am I not ready for this? Because I remember at one time I did question how the community spoke about Keith, like spoke about this, their leader. And they, they had a different name for him, like a title for him. And they, and I remember like raising my hand one day and being like, um, don't you think this is a little, you know, whatever. And the response was I had something I needed to look at within myself about, you know, seeing people in power. And so it's very, it was very easy to constantly have it turned back on me. Which again, I don't know if that was intentionally like trying to keep me small or if it was just that was their training, right? Like, well, you always look at what's in it for me um, or how it's it's my thing. And so it's very, I, I guess my point is that if that is the moment to get as quiet and clear within ourselves. So like I did listen to my body, something felt weird. I was just like, something doesn't feel right. And I couldn't explain it because if I got into a dialogue with somebody then that's what they would have said. They would have talked me into staying. So that's when I had to trust my body, that something doesn't feel right here. And yeah, I think that's what we can do, whether or not we're in a cult or we're even in just another you know, situation that's far less, quote unquote, severe than that. Um, I think something to always listen to, um, because I don't know if you're familiar with this book. I just started reading it. It's called Recapture the Rapture really fascinating um and in there he or at least i haven't read the whole book so i'm kind of like where, where you're at with uh, um power versus force but in in his interview with aubrey marcus he's talking about how a lot of these quote-unquote cults or you know big movements that ended up going astray they really do start off I mean, um, pretty much always, I would say, from a pure-hearted place of, of genuinely wanting to help people. And the leader is genuinely channeling very powerful information, very healing information, very insightful information, that things tend to go astray the moment that those leaders start buying into their own story. And now they're believing that they really, really are these higher beings that are not fully, that aren't human anymore, right? And it, it gets tricky 
Um, because the moment that you start buying into that, then you start convincing yourself that like you have more answers than other people do. And the moment that you start believing you have more answers than other people do, the people that are in a vulnerable place will also like, it'll be easy to convince them of that. And that's when we start getting into these cult dynamics. And during this interview, he actually mentioned Ram Das as like, he's one of the leaders that did such a great job of not, even though he had such an, a massed following and so much influence, he was always, he never let himself believe that he was anything less than human, that he was always calling out his faults, that he was always giving the power back to his followers. And that's what kept that dynamic in balance. I love that you are saying this. Um, I couldn't agree more. And I think what, and this now I want to uh, repeat a bit or echo what I said before as that for me, the balance, because yes, a hundred percent to anyone who is in a leadership role to do exactly that, to, to keep our, you know, to keep ourselves as the leader in that space of humility, in that space of humanity, in that space of like, this is coming through me and it's always within everyone, right? Like just to recognize like I am the channel and you all have this within you. So that's, that is a requirement. And I, I believe equally as important as that is that because in my, there's to me, there's no better or worse, a leader or a follower or whatever you want to call it. Like we're all here to play our own roles. And so some of us are going to find ourselves in the leader role at times. Some of us are going to find ourselves in the follower role at times. And I believe it's equally as important for us as the followers to not give our power to that individual. They're not to, because that to me is what creates the monster, right? Like if a leader is like, I'm your guru and I have all the power and not a single follower gave them that power, it wouldn't work, it would fall apart before it started, right? Equally, if a leader came in with no intention of doing that, and yet every follower came and said, oh my God, you are here as my guru, you are here to save me, you like, well, what could we expect? The person's human. So of course they're going to probably, you know what I mean? Like buy into become, it and, they'll, yeah. they'll buy into that story, even mm -hmm. if it wasn't theirs. Right. Mm -hmm. So I do agree that as the leader, there's huge responsibility. And to me, this is where radical self-responsibility stems from. I have equally as much responsibility as a follower because I can still choose. Do I feed the person that story? Or do I continue to listen to myself no matter what is being taught or told to me? Yeah. And are you following out of fear? Because mm -hmm. if you tap back into that, that's not going to be love. If if you're in a place where someone's telling you that come with me and I'll take you to the light or go on your own and you'll walk into the shadows, that that is riddled, riddled with fear. That's right. That's red flags all over the place. It's a yeah. whole red flag. <laughs> And I could easily see anyone in that position. I don't take myself out of that being if it's someone that I trust and someone who's saying something that is rooted in love and something that is like making a lot of sense. And then they want to continue to take me to the light. Like I would 100% get super confused. Like, hold on. Yeah. Okay. Huh? Like that, that is something to really, to really confuse you. Well, especially if you're in a vulnerable place, especially in healing situations, when you're dealing with healers, with therapists, coaches, that's an especially vulnerable situation because you're already vulnerable. You're already in pain. You already want some answers. You know, I think a, another kind of like warning sign to look for is do they even in dialogue, are, are they convincing you that they have 
all the answers or are they constantly like asking you if that resonates with you? Are they exactly. inviting you to challenge them? Are they the moment that you say, I don't agree or like, I, you know, I want to pause therapy or, you know, leave or do they immediately like bow down to that and honor that decision or do they try to convince you otherwise? Bingo. I was just going to say exactly that because if, if as the, we'll say follower just for the, to separate it out. But yes, like if as a follower, I am ever hearing somebody say that, yeah, they are the, they have, they are the one and only, or they have the answers, right? That's always a, a watch out for us. And then um, equally for those of us in the quote unquote leader position, can, are we doing that? Or are we really staying open? Because it's easy. It is easy for us to think we, we know and that we have the answer. And I even catch myself with friends having to just remind myself and go, Oh, wait, this is true for me. It may not be the answer for you, but I will share it if you're asking or if you want to hear it, you know? So I think we are all given an invitation to keep coming back to, um, yeah, being responsible because there's a responsibility in all, in all roles that we play. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I know we're, we're past the hour, so we need to wrap up here, but I really would love to ask you if you could just give us a glimpse into the awaken your story container that that you're holding because I think it's so powerful and that your mission with Awaken Village Press is such a powerful mission. Yeah. Well, the jungle's coming alive, so we'll I have hear a, it. What is we're, that? We're gonna have a, this incredible bird. I don't even know what it is, but it, it's it's fascinating. Anyway, so I'm just like we might have an orchestra here um, to to close us out. Um, it's like the, the music at the end of the movie or at the end of the speech, you know, it just comes in, it's like fading in to get us out. All right. So yes. Um, thank you for asking. So yeah, Awaken Village Press, we are going to be launching our next, um, Awaken Your Book program in August. And this was, we, we are in our first container now, and it's really incredible for me. The, one of the missions of Awaken Village Press is to awaken the planet one book at a time. And we do believe that every person, has a story to tell and some of us are called to share that in the form of a book and that as we write our stories we actually rewrite our stories we can reframe them and then that can serve first as a transformational experience for us as the author of those stories because we are the author of our life and then as we transform through that experience whatever we have shared in that book or in our story can serve as a, a transformational experience for the, the receiver, the reader of it. And so, yeah, I'm super excited and jazzed about what we're doing here with Awaken Village Press um, and the team that we have cultivated already and continue to call in. The authors that we are calling in are just incredible. And so if anyone out there listening has this deep desire, because I feel you know if you are here to write a book, and you know if that story wants to come through you onto the page, and if you know that that is something that you want to do and you don't want to have to do it alone and you do want to do it within a community of like-hearted, like-minded beings who are feeling called to share their stories in an honest, authentic, vulnerable way, then I invite you to join us. Um, I'm sure we'll put some information below that you can um, learn more. And yeah, I one thing that I was told actually during an Akashic reading, which I got to hear about yours, Valentina, yeah. um, but I got the, the download or the message that one of something that Awaken Village Press is, is it is a vehicle for unadulterated truth in the written word. And so if you feel you have some truth that needs to be expressed, then we would love to help you do that. 
and we would love to help you bring it into the world. So, And I think it's so powerful because it's a container of people who are doing the same thing. And it's that energy can only be amplified when you have people within that same mission in one container. And you don't have to be an author, like a published author to jump in there. That's right. You That's guys right. walk them every step of the way. That's right. That's right. And so many of us, I mean, again, I can speak now having written one of the three books I know I'm meant to write. Uh, and I got the first one out and I did it because I had I had the support and I had the help. And then um, I've seen that help. I've just seen the value in that for now so many other authors. Um, and again, these are first time authors, right? So it's that person out there who's like, I just know I need to get this onto the page. And even if you don't know if you're going to publish it, that's okay too. Sometimes the greatest transformation occurs by getting it written. And then it's up to you what you do with it after that. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. We'll definitely add all the links in the show notes. And is there anywhere, anything else that you think is that your heart wants to speak of before mm. we close out? I just want to thank you both for doing what you're doing in the world, having these conversations for bringing our awareness to our mental health and our heart health and to recognizing that we are each here having our own individual journey and that it doesn't have to look the same as anyone else's. And equally, the answers out there or the information out there may or may not resonate with all of us the same way. And so I just love that I feel each of you are in this space of, shining a light on of all on all the things right so every person out there listening you can listen to yourself um and if you don't know how to do it again this is one of my favorite things like when you hear something and at least this is how it works for me that doesn't mean it will work this way for everyone but when i hear someone say something if i'm quiet and still enough my body will give me some message of that's true or oh that doesn't feel true so no matter how true it is for that other person start there and listen to yourself. And so that may be something I said today or something that one of these beautiful ladies said today. Keep listening to yourself and you'll, you'll find your well, way. And before we close, we ask this from every single guest and in, in many ways. Every time. <laughs> I know. When you Why were going to ask always that. This? I feel like you wanted to ask this and you forgot. My spirit was like, girl, remember. <laughs> Say the words. Of course, Paula, <laughs> You're like, is there anything else you want to share? I'm like, Valentina, I think you meant to. <laughs> That's okay. This is why we have two people on here. <laughs> I was going to say that the reason you forget is so Paula can play her role and, <laughs> and ask the question. What, um, so what does mental health mean to you today at this juncture in your life? Mental health. I feel like I started with this. This is so cool. It's like we're going to come full circle. Mental health for me means cleaning up the clutter and the non-truths that my mind hangs on to in every moment or throughout the day and coming into greater harmony with who I truly am. And sometimes that might just mean recognizing that my mind will be busy and full of things that I do not need to pay attention to. I love that. I love that too. Thank you so much for speaking with us today and being authentic as you always are. I told Paula before this, I was like, one thing about Amanda is she's extremely open-hearted and she's always going to show up so authentically, which that always opens a space for the same thing. 
for people to meet you with an open heart in an authentic way. And I think that that's such an important part of everyone's mental health journey is feeling safe in the presence of other people. So mm. thank you. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you. We Bye. love you. Love you Mwah. too. Mwah. Enjoy Bye. the jungle. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. All right, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in with us. That was such a beautiful, beautiful conversation with Amanda. We hope you guys enjoyed it just as much as we did. If it impacted you, share with someone that you love. Spread the mental health love. We love you guys. Los queremos mucho. Los queremos mucho. If you guys are interested in the Awaken Your Book container, we have the show notes. We have the link in the show notes. Don't forget to tune in with us every Monday at 6 a.m. EST and come talk to us on Instagram. Come talk to us on Instagram at Pretty Mental Official. And we have been opening breathwork group sessions. So if you guys are interested, DM us on Instagram or email us at community at prettymental.com. We would love to have you in the breathwork sessions. We love you guys. We will speak to you next week. Be kind to yourselves. Los queremos mucho. Bye. Bye.